Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, June 21st. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and the returning Chris Towers. Today on the show, O'Neill Cruz had an awesome debut. Aces were on the mound, a pair of socks and shoes for the Royals, StatCast standouts, and I have a few emails. I'm not sure how this happened. We're talking beforehand. Only nine games on the schedule, yet I have one of my longest rundowns of this season. So, <laughs> What is wrong with you? I don't know what's wrong with you. You're a glutton for punishment, Frank. It's, it's all O'Neill Cruz based, though. Yeah, basically. Uh, yes. What's going on, Chris? We haven't seen you in a while. Good. I'm good. I yeah. I missed Thursday. I missed the last two shows for concerts. I'm sorry. I went and saw Paul McCartney last Thursday. That was pretty cool. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, Frank, you may have heard some of his songs. Even. Um, uh, yeah. A guy named Bruce Springsteen came out with him. You also may have heard of him. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I don't. He's all right. And then I saw Motion City soundtrack on Sunday, which isn't as cool but still a lot of fun you know a lot of nostalgia for me so it's, it's been good but glad to be back glad to be back indeed let's jump in oh my good goodness gracious oh my goodness gracious players from monday we will start with scott all right well i'm gonna take the free space today and i'm gonna hold go on hold on it's not a free space scott it's, it's the- an olive garden breadstick Okay, the Olive Garden breadstick. If if that's if that's the analogy we've agreed I'm glad upon, we're sticking with this analogy. Yes, I'm sure it will make sense to people listening a month from now. But anyway, uh, O'Neill Cruz. Wow, you know it's it's rare that you get the demonstration of talent that we got from him. Like we talked about the talent, you know how hard he hits the ball just the 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 tools how impressive they are pretty much across the board but it's rare that you get such a clear demonstration of it the first game and I'll note this wasn't his first major league game he played a couple at the end of last season when nobody cared anymore so you know it kind of it kind of flew under the radar uh, but everybody cares now and what we saw from O'Neill Cruz in this first game definitely should catch your attention so the first thing was a ground ball to short that he actually didn't feel that well. You know, he didn't, it, it, it wasn't the cleanest pickup of the ground. He didn't position himself very well, kind of a backhand on a routine grounder. And then he kind of double clutched it, uh, making it a closer play at first than it needed to be. But the throw, my gosh, the throw was the hardest throw from an infielder all season. <laughs> it's crazy. And it was 97 miles per hour. Yep. <laughs> That's 
Uh, I'm sure outfielders have had harder throws than that. Of course, pitchers have had harder throws than that, but hardest throw from an infielder this season. And the the Pirates broadcasting booth went nuts over this <laughs> routine grounder. They really need something to get excited about, apparently. And look, it was an impressive throw. Uh, so that was cool. Then he comes up to the plate. He hits a ball 112.9 miles per hour to center fielder, gets by the center fielder all the way to the wall for a bases-clearing double. 112.9 miles per hour, as I said. What's interesting about that, if you don't have a good you know, concept for these things, only 47 players in all the majors this year have hit a ball as hard as 112.9 miles per hour. And, and you know he had, I think, two different batted balls last season that were harder than that in yep. the two games that he played. Right, I he set he, the Pirates record yeah. during the Stackhouse era for hardest hit ball. That that so, ball that ball that he hit today, Scott, was already the hardest hit ball by any Pirates player this season. <laughs> well, no, the, so this, the, I don't know if Scott's getting to this one, but the note I saw just in the first, I think it was three innings today, he had the hardest thrown ball by a Pirates position player, the hardest hit ball by a Pirates batter, and the fastest sprint speed by a Pirates player this season. In the first three innings <laughs> He's a freak. of the game. He I mean, is he a freak. Is, yeah. yeah. I, I, I looked it up because I've made reference to it a few times on the podcast, but I didn't have the exact number handy, how Baseball America had the average exit velocity for every hitter in their top 100 prospects coming into this year, their average exit velocity from last year. O'Neill Cruz was 94 miles per hour average exit velocity in the minors last year. No other top 100 prospect was better than 91. <laughs> so, look, this is these are these are not guarantee guarantees like, like, of success. All of this stuff, like we could be describing Franchi Cordero. Well, not know, exactly, but like but, the similar, yeah. like this is like Franchi- the thing Franchi Cordero has been like known for for years and he's not actually good impressive tools and it didn't amount to anything and you know o'neill cruz i mean he was incredibly productive in the minors last season this year you know kind of a mixed bag which is why his uh, part of the reason why his call-up was delayed but it does point to a very very high ceiling so at six feet six feet seven he cruz is going to have a hard time with his mechanics i'm sure finding consistency with those and of course, strikeouts, we've seen them be a problem at times, though actually not so much once it got hot at AAA. I think his final 26 games, only 17 and a half percent strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it stands to reason against major league pitchers. He might have some trouble making contact. And it might, he might have so much trouble that it's prohibited, prohibitive and he's not able to take advantage of these tools. But, like, the tools are just off the charts and it's, you should be very excited if you have picked them up particularly if you stashed him all this time, his roster rate never dropped below 55%. But even now he's available in some leagues and uh, you should definitely pick him up if he is available oh. in yours just to see where this goes. O'Neill Cruz up to 78% rostered, of course, was added in a bunch of leagues last night. I know Sunday night is a big waiver night, so uh, rightfully so. He's added in a bunch of leagues and make sure to check out if he's available. You know, Chris, I- I'm just trying to figure out where am I going to rank him. I know Tuesdays and Wednesdays are really our big rankings update days throughout the week. And I, I just kind of dropped him in to my 24th ranked shortstop just behind Javier Baez and Eugenio Suarez. And I, I feel like he probably can move up a little bit more, but what do you think about that spot in terms of ranking him at shortstop? 
I never had him lower than 29 for the rest of the season rankings, and I'm going to go ahead and move him up to 19. Now, shortstop is a very top-heavy position. I'm still doing uh, overall rankings for the trade values chart, and so I can actually tell you that would make him my 126th ranked player overall, um, which is very aggressive, but I just think that the upside and, and particularly like it's upside that is apparent in Roto, obviously, because he has 33 steals and 159 career games uh, between double A AA and triple A. He's got this massive raw power, you know, that like invites comparisons that are not unfair to Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stan and, and those kind of guys. Um, his minor league track record and trajectory is actually very similar to Aaron Judge, in addition to the fact that they're both six foot seven. Um, but yeah, I just I think if there's a type of player to overreact about, I think it's O'Neill Cruz. You know, like so, that kind of talent. So I got a question on Twitter. Um, and, and actually somebody responded to that question and said they had the same dilemma. O'Neill Cruz versus Willie Adamas. Now it sounds like from your ranking, I haven't I haven't updated yet. I, I will tonight, but it sounds like from your ranking, Chris, you would rank Willie Adamas ahead of Cruz. Yes. If that was your only choice though, like if you it's a shallow league, uh Willie Adamas is the low guy. Would you would you sacrifice him in pursuit of this upside for Cruz? That's tough, um, because like Willie Adams is having a fine season. It's been kind of fits and spurts, but the underlying numbers suggest he's actually been significantly better than what he's produced so far. So I do still think there's quite a bit of upside for him as well. So the, I I think I would have a hard time pulling the trigger on that one, but. Like I can see the the concept behind it is like if Willie Adams really is your worst player, yeah. and it's that kind of league where like okay, let's say you drop Willie Adams, someone picks him up. I think that would be obviously uh, you know likely. Is Brennan Rogers still out there in this league? You know, it's very possible that he is, even though he's been so hot lately. So, you know, I, I think in that instance, like there's enough risk reward that I think it could be worthwhile. I just don't know if I would do that. Uh, all right, let's move into, oh my goodness gracious. Wow, that was one player. All right, Chris, oh my yeah, goodness gracious for you. Other players. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Andrew Vaughn, who continues to hit the ball really well, four for four with a run, a home run, two RBI, actually hasn't been hitting for a ton of power lately. I think, Frank, you said this was his first home run in the month of June, but... He's up to a 330 average for the season. He's not going to hit 330 the rest of the season. Underlying numbers don't back up his production, but really solid quality of contact, strikeout rate down to 16%. Like Andrew Vaughn is looking like the guy we hoped he would be when he got called up last season. You remember, I, I, I think Spencer Torkelson was, you know, a more well regarded prospect, but Vaughn was in a similar boat as a hitter at least in terms of the expectations that he came up to the majors with. And last season left a lot to be desired, but you know, right now he's in the 78th percentile on average exit velocity, 85th percentile on hard hit rate uh, above average in XBA and X slug. The, you know, the launch angle, not as high as you'd want. You know, there are like the, 
expected Woba more like average than the very good numbers he's got right now. But I just think the combination of quality of contact and contact rate that Andrew Vaughn is showing right now is really, really promising. And I saw them talking about this on the broadcast. He's done really, really great in games where he's just the DH for the White Sox. Mm -hmm. So uh, there could be some correlation there. Obviously, he's not a natural outfielder. And if you look at his StatCast page, he is probably the worst in baseball in terms of outfield jumps. But in nine games entering Monday, he was batting 405 with an OPS over 1,000 as the DH for the White Sox this season. So uh, I think that that's a role that can suit him well until, you know, Jose Abreu transitions to DH within the next couple of years, maybe, uh, and then Vaughn can play his natural position at first base. Uh, I will point out, you know, just if you have Andrew Vaughn in Dynasty or any type of keeper league, I know it's a lot of just empty batting average right now, but the fact that he makes as much contact as he does and his max EV is pretty solid, 111 miles per hour, I would think that power is going to come over the next couple of years. Maybe it's not elite power, but you know, mid-20s home runs, I, I think that's something that we'll, we'll get to for Andrew Vaughn. I, I feel pretty confident in him long-term. So uh, he's been great. Um, and he's, still, he's 78% rostered, so he could be out there in some shallower leagues as well, much like O'Neill Cruz. Oh, my goodness gracious, for me, Jose Barrios, another not great start here up against the White Sox on Monday where he allowed six runs over four innings pitched, three home runs allowed, 11 hard hits allowed compared to just two swinging strikes. And in this recent stretch of success for Jose Barrios, he was leaning into the curveball. And very clearly, if you've watched Jose Barrios, you know the curveball is far and away his best pitch. Uh, he did not do that here on Monday. Maybe he just didn't have a feel for the pitch, whatever it might be, but he was hit extremely hard, much like he has been for most of the season. So the ERA climbs back up 5.11 overall. His ex-ERA, expected ERA according to StatCast, so quality of contact matters a good amount for this, 5.54. That is in the 11th percentile for pitchers this season. There's no other way to describe it outside of awful. I, I his quality of contact against has been truly awful this year. Jose Barrios, his fastball getting crushed. 353 batting average against 637 slug. Uh, th- this has been part of the issue with me, like trying to move Jose Barrios up. He has a couple of good starts, but I- I'm still really just worried about these underlying numbers. Uh, Scott, what do you think about this recent letdown for Jose Barrios? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're more down on him than I am because his past three starts were awesome. Five of the past six were awesome. Uh, none of the ER estimators are good. None of the ER estimators are ever good with him. Like the peripherals never look that good with Barrios. They're they're a little worse this year, but he was so bad in April and early May. You know, basically before this uh, this stretch of seven starts. That you know, I, I think a lot of it's still hang hangover effect from that. Just stats haven't had time to correct completely. I don't know. I feel okay about him. I have him as a top 30 pitcher, and I'm not inclined to move him down. I mean, he's he's always prone to these blow-ups. He's vulnerable to hard contact and home runs and all of that. So I, I feel okay about Barrios still. The biggest problem is just the both the fastballs are just getting crushed. The sinker or the four-seam, like it, it's not really clear that he could just like, well, if he just switches to a sinker, it'll be like, they're both getting hit hard. They're both getting crushed. Um I tend to think his track record is so 
like he's weirdly consistent year over year while not being consistent overall. Um, <laughs> and like he's going to probably, well, at this point, he's probably not going to end up with a mid threes ERA, but I think he's probably going to be a mid to high threes pitcher, ERA pitcher moving forward who gets you a lot of volume. And that's useful, but it's also like, is it a top 30 pitcher? I I could see myself moving him down fairly easily, like him versus Nestor Cortez. I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe Nestor Cortez is already a top 30 pitcher for you guys. He's not yep. for me. He is for me. Um, yeah. I have him ahead of Barrios. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking I probably just need to move Barrios down. Barrios versus Luis Castillo is kind of a Spider-Man meme. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, not similar pitchers in the way they go about it, but the results often end up pretty similar. So that's an interesting one. I don't know. It's uh, like, I think I'd rather just have Tony Gonsolin than Jose Barrios to just going through my, my rankings right now. Just, you know, Barrios obviously brings a little more safety, but it's safety in terms of volume, not necessarily in terms of quality. Tony Gonsolin's a, you know, 2-5 ERA guy for his career right now. Yeah, no, so, I don't think that's a crazy take. I, I have Gonsolin yeah. ranked just ahead of Jose Barrios right now, and uh, someone we'll talk about a little bit later on. I, I would take Logan Webb over Jose Brios. I, I think he's really. Come I've had back Logan around. Webb ahead of him all all along, even when I was skeptical of him yeah. coming into the season. I guess the only thing that's actionable with Brios, obviously, I'm not dropping him anywhere. Uh, I, I think you know some people might just look at his overall numbers and say, okay, buy low based on his track record. Which, look, if you trust that track record, then you should do it. But I'm yeah, saying. I'm saying not to do that. That is my advice. And uh, if I turn out to be wrong about this, then I will own up to it and I will let you know. But I am not buying low on Jose Barrios. I I struggle with like buying low on Jose Barrios because I tend to want to buy low on a player who like can really blow up. And I just like I said, I think Jose Barrios is a mid to high three ZRA guy and that's valuable. But it's not, you know, it, it obviously depends on how low I'm buying. But yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I wouldn't be enthusiastically buying low, I guess is the way I would put it. On the other side of Jose Brios in that game was Lance Lynn, who allowed five runs, three earned over five innings pitch. He did have five strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes. So, you know, kind of a mixed bag here. And um, he actually only allowed two earned runs through five innings. He came out for the sixth and that's where things really started to implode for him. Apparently, he threw 10 sliders in this start, a pitch he hasn't really used since 2015. Maybe they were cutters that were not classified as cutters, but uh, it could be that he's throwing a pitch in the slider that he hasn't used in a long time. Uh, Overall, Scott, I think that this was more encouraging than not, even though the line doesn't look great for Lance Lynn. Yeah, I was really encouraged before before the end of it. And you remember his last started, it was completely the opposite. He allowed like seven hits in the first two innings and then settled down from there. Fastball velocity, like in that first start, down 1.4 miles per hour from last year. So we didn't see any improvement with the with how hard he threw the fastball. He did have 14 swinging strikes on 19 pitches against a good Blue Jays lineup. So that's you know, that's encouraging. Yeah, I, I think the jury's still out on whether Lynn is exactly who we've seen the past two or three years or if you know there has been some decline here uh, during his, his time away. I would not lower him in my rankings based on this start, but I'm, I'm not moving him up either. 
He's behind Jose Barrios for what it's worth. Fair Same. enough. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Let me see about that one. It's close. Uh, yeah, I do have Lynn ahead of Jose Brios as well, but kind of similar pitchers in my mind, but I, I will take Lance Lynn there. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't. I actually do have <laughs> Lynn ahead of Barrios. Maybe I should change that. Maybe I am going to move Lynn down. Man, I was just updating those earlier today. Ah. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. All right, let's get into a few other prospect call-ups on uh, Monday. We talked about from the weekend, there was a bunch, Riley Green and O'Neill Cruz, obviously. Josh Lowe was recalled by the Tampa Bay Rays. He's 20% rostered, and you remember he got a chance earlier in the season and was striking out a ton, really you know, was not playing great for Tampa. Uh, but then he got sent down, and since the start of May... At AAA, he was hitting 299, six homers, six steals. Again, this is Josh Lowe, and he hit a fly ball 415 feet straightaway center field off of Garrett Cole, which wound up being an out on the warning track. But I thought it was pretty impressive. Uh, Chris, are you looking to add Josh Lowe maybe in some of those five outfielder leagues? Uh, absolutely. I, I think even potentially in a three outfielder head to head points like you know Manuel, Manuel Margot leaving the game today potentially makes it easier for Lowe to stay in the everyday lineup and and stay on the big league club it does sound like Margot suffered a pretty serious injury he's going to go on the IL um look Lowe has hit 293 381 536 in his career at AAA over 147 games with 28 homers 32 steals He's continued to hit at that level since getting sent down. And it's a skill set that ideally provides power, speed, and play discipline. All the things that we're looking for, no matter what format you're playing in. Obviously, you know, you're less certain about his chances of hitting after he struggled so much early on, but he was the guy that people were dropping $500 on in NFC uh, leagues in the first fab run. So. Yeah, I think he's absolutely worth rostering at least in all five outfielder leagues and, you know, potentially any three outfielder league deeper than 12 teams. Because I would guess at this point, you know, Lowe's got the chance to stay up for good now. Again, the name there is Josh Lowe. Go ahead, Scott. I don't like that he was striking out 31% of the time at AAA. That's a really high rate especially at triple a it's a lot i've never been the biggest low guy even doing straight up prospect rankings so i'm i'd pick him up in any five outfielder league sure but i i i did show restraint like i don't think he's in the same category as the guys we saw called up over the weekend yep Giraloff and riley green and all of them in terms of how um how motivated you should be to pick him up Scott, would you say that you are not high on low? That's what I'd say, if you make me. All right. Uh, who would you rather have, Josh Lowe or Jaron Duran, who's 19% rostered? So they're right around the same roster rate right now. And Duran went two for three with a walk on Monday. He added two steals and has let off all five games that he has started since being recalled by the Red Sox. The problem yeah. and the... Consistent problem is that Enrique Hernandez could be back soon for the Red Sox. So why what do you think? Does there? Enrique Hernandez need to play? Like I don't. Even I agree. The, I agree with I you. I don't but. even think the Red Sox believe he should because every time they put Duran in the lineup, they bat him lead off. I think right? he's. Is he like related to Alex Cora? They seem like buddies. <laughs> and yeah. That's why. Well, it's just I don't like know. that team has a lot of bad outfielders. 
right. pretty much all of their outfielders are pretty bad. Jackie Bradley at this point like, doesn't Jackie need to Bradley, play. Great defensive player, Francis Cordero, not a major league regular. You know, like it shouldn't be hard to get Jaron Duran in the lineup. I agree. They've made it hard for themselves. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, like why would that change moving forward? I hope it does. I'm hopeful this was the game that said Duran needs to be in the line. I mean, two hits, two stolen bases, a walk. I mean, he's 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 done fine prior to this, but I mm. mean, this was a real, uh, you know, real eye opener in the box score anyway. And I like I have more con- like uh, low because he has upside. Uh, Josh Lowe, I, I think is, I'm sorry, because he has power. Josh Lowe has more upside between the two of them, but I think Durant's going to be more useful if he sticks around. I think he'll be. I think he'll help in batting average and especially runs and stolen bases. All right, Chris, for you, Josh Lowe versus Jaron Durant. Who do you take? Um, that's a really close call. I I might go with Duran. Um, and I'm going to make sure I add him to the waiver wire column for Tuesday morning. Fair enough. And I, I look, I know you've been high on him consistently. So yeah, hopefully Jaron Duran could see that consistent playing time in deeper league. Some prospects that were called up Nelson Velasquez recalled by the Cubs. He was batting 241 with 15 homers, 12 steals and 859 OPS across two different levels in the minors this season. However, striking out 35% of the time, he did not start for the Cubs on Monday. And a gentleman named Bly Madris. Madras? I said it earlier, and now I don't even remember how I'm supposed to say it. Was making his debut for the Pirates. He's not really a prospect, but he was having a solid season at AAA. He went three for four with a double, two RBI, and a steal. Just a name to remember there. Uh, if you're trying to figure out how to spell it, it's B-L-I-G-H. That's his first name, Bly. And he looked great in this game. Uh, let's, yeah, before we get to the break, let's just quickly run through some of the aces that were on the mound on Monday. The three strikeout leaders, actually, in Major League Baseball were all on the mound. Shane McClanahan makes it eight straight quality starts in a row. He was up against the Yankees. Six innings of one-run ball, eight strikeouts, had 16 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Corbin Burns posted his fifth double-digit strikeout game of the season. He goes seven shutout with 10 strikeouts against the Cardinals. And then Garrett Cole took a no-hitter into the eighth inning at Tampa Bay. Goes seven and a third, gives up one run, 12 strikeouts for him. It was his fourth double-digit strikeout outing of the season. The ERA down to 3.14 for him. Uh, Scott, anything that you'd like to add on McClanahan, Burns, and Garrett Cole? Arguably the top three pitchers in fantasy baseball right now. Arguably. I have McClanahan a little lower in my rankings because I do think he's going to have to slow down the innings pace a bit as the season goes on. That's the main reason I have Zach Wheeler and Justin Verlander ahead of him. And in points leagues, I have Sandy Alcantara ahead of him. That same innings accumulator that he is. But McClanahan's really good. And yeah, I don't think I have... Much to add. These guys are all great. Chris, anything for you? They are awesome. Not really nothing. Nothing to add. They're great. All right. Well, I do have one thing to add. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Oh, haven't heard that in a while. That's right. Anytime we get a quality star from a man, Shane, you will hear Shane O'Mac here on the podcast. Let's take a break. And when we return, we'll get to news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The news and notes. Manny Machado was on the bench Monday with that left ankle sprain, and the team is optimistic he'll be able to avoid the IL, which if he does... I've heard that one before. This guy must have, I don't know, ankles of steel or something because (laughs) that looked absolutely terrible, and as someone who has sprained my ankle multiple times playing basketball in my life, I had to cringe. I couldn't even watch it. It it looks so disgusting. So I I hope he doesn't go on the IL, but I don't know how he is going to avoid it. We'll see. Manny Machado. Max Scherzer will make his rehab start on Tuesday at AA, and if all goes well, could return to the Mets this weekend, which sounds pretty aggressive, but... Wow. I hope... Wow. Good for him. (laughs) I hope he's all right, man. Uh, Joe Musgrove has been able to throw while on the COVID IL, but is expected to miss at least one turn in the rotation. Instead, Mike Clevenger will start Wednesday against the D-backs. Brandon Woodruff said he expects to make his second rehab start at high A on Thursday. He threw 51 pitches in his first rehab outing, originally on the IL with an ankle injury, then started dealing with some numbness in his fingers. So uh, hopefully all is well with Brandon Woodruff. And we got got Aaron Ashby was placed on the IL with that left forearm inflammation retroactive to June 17th. This comes one day after he was cleared to make his next start. We're getting ready to fire him up two-star pitcher. Uh-huh. But I don't know what I don't know what's going on with this injury indecision that has run rampant in the league this year. I feel well, like I, I think like in this case they had to get a pitcher off the roster. So it could have been because the, the the roster limit for pitchers went into effect yesterday, I think, or today. I think today, um, yeah. Today. And so I think that's a big part of why we've seen so many big-name hitters get called up. Um, and, you know, it could just be that this allowed them to not make a tougher decision. Yeah. So hopefully that's what it is. I heard on the broadcast that he threw a bullpen yesterday and that his form didn't really respond well and had issued throwing his slider, which is one of his best pitches. So yeah. honestly, makes me a little bit worried about Ashby. Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird that he left to start with a forearm injury and it was just like, oh, he'll be fine for his next start. Like, that's, yeah, right? <laughs> that doesn't ever happen. Yeah, not great. Uh, apparently, Aaron Ashby isn't particularly worried about the injury, but... I don't believe you. Jack Flaherty is expected to target around 75 pitches in his second start of the season on Tuesday against the Brewers. Chris Bryant scheduled to begin a rehab assignment Tuesday at AAA. Could return this weekend. Cattell Marte has now missed four straight with that hamstring injury. He's expected to be back at some point during the series with the Padres. Tyler O'Neill was placed on the IL due to left hamstring tightness. And as a result, Juan Yepes should see increased playing time. I think he actually picked up multiple hits here on Monday. That is Juan Yepes. Friend- I did just drop Yepes for Duran. It was a pretty tough call, but I, I went with Duran in a roto league. Juan Yepes has slowed down quite a bit. I, I know the batting yes. average still looks okay, but the power particularly has really 
taking a step back. So if you need speed in a categories league, I don't have an issue making that swap. Franmil Reyes is expected to return Tuesday and is 67% rostered. Could be out there in some shallower leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, do you think Franmil Reyes is a must-add where available? No. He strikes out too much for points leagues, I think, especially if it's a three-outfielder points league. But um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know that I... He, I like, I, I do think he's probably a 30-homer pace the rest of the way as bad as he was when he was healthy this year. Uh, that's I still buy the track record. Is he a must in three outfielder category leagues? Um, if you, if you want more power, like you should probably pick him up. If, yeah. if you're pretty satisfied with your outfield, I could understand not picking him up. Yeah. It, it's just tough because there's so many outfielders emerging right now. Riley green and Michael Harris and Alex Kirilov. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. I think anywhere where you need power, just would not surprise me if friend, friend Mil Reyes goes on one of these binges I'm that we've seen in the past. Promising that he's only struck out. I mean, it's only five games, but he only struck out three times on his rehab assignment. So mm-hmm. that's that's a good sign. Aroldis Chapman is scheduled to throw a live batting practice session on Tuesday at the Yankees spring training complex in Tampa. He's on the IL with left Achilles tendonitis. We got an update last week that said uh, even when he returns, Clay Holmes will be their highest leverage reliever, but still pick up some saves along the way. So, I don't know. Could get kind of messy there uh, at the back end for the Yankees. Yoan Moncada was placed on the IL yet again, this time with a strained right hamstring. That should ensure playing time for uh, Jake Berger, who's done some interesting things this season. Anthony DeSclafani is likely to make his return Tuesday and start against the Braves. He was not great early on this season, but uh, was very solid last year. Chris, would you be looking to add Anthony DeSclafani, who is 60% rostered? Yeah, I think he's worth a look. I mean, 60% rostered is probably, it's not his ceiling, but it it suggests that he's rostered most of the places he needs to be. Um, Because there's not like super high upside here with the strikeout rate being what it is. But yeah, I think he is... um, He's definitely useful. He's definitely worth rostering in most leagues. Would you rather take a shot on him or Aaron Savali, who is getting ready to return as well? Discofani. All right. Jeff McNeil is considered day-to-day after leaving Monday's game with hamstring tightness. Ken Giles was finally reinstated by the Seattle Mariners, and I'm sure he won't step right in as the closer, but could work his way into the role. Uh, Scott, would you be looking to add Ken Giles in any category leagues? He's only 13% rostered. It's not a high priority for me. I, his he, he looked horrible on his rehab assignment. Yeah, his rehab assignment was a disaster. Yeah. Jeez. And obviously it's been a long time since we've seen Ken Giles pitch a major league game. So I, I don't really know what to expect from him, much less, you know, will he ever will he ever have a shot at the closer role? That's that's kind of a secondary question at this point. Seven and third innings, 15 hits, 11 earned runs, four home runs, eight walks, eight strikeouts. So, Yikes. I, I, like, I do think if he looks like himself, he'll be the closer before long. But I just, I don't know how likely it is that he'll look like himself. Yeah, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. On top of that, he dealt with a finger injury for most of, most of the season. So, uh, it's been a long road back for Ken Giles. 
Pirates starting pitcher Zach Thompson was placed on the IL with right forearm nerve inflammation. Marcus Stroman, who is on the IL with shoulder inflammation, is expected to throw a bullpen within the next few days. And Luis Patino is scheduled to make his next rehab start Tuesday at AAA. And Chris, would you rather stash Patino or Nick Lodolo right now, who's also ramping up? Uh, Lodolo, I think. He's he's probably... um both a little closer and a little more of a sure thing. Patino, I really like the potential, but he just hasn't got the swings and misses at the major league level so far. He's been very fastball heavy. Um, but I, I like the idea of stashing him for sure. All right. Let's move into some stat cast standouts. And I'm going to do a few different things here. Look at some players who stand out for the overall season and then look at players who have stood out so far in the month of June. And a few barrel rate standouts for the season. Barrel rate is it's a power metric that we use that is ideal for it's the ideal contact. It's, you know, 95 plus miles per hour off the bat. It's between 15 and 25 degree launch angle. So it's literally optimal contact for power. And a few names that stood out here that are all ranked inside the top 30. Eugenio Suarez has bounced back so far this season. He is 16th in this metric. Marcelo Zuna is 18th uh, and frankly has underperformed a lot of his expected numbers. And then Mike Yastrzemski is like very quietly having a solid season. He's hitting well against lefties once again. Uh, he's putting the ball in the air and um, hitting a good amount of barrels so far this season. So, Scott, what do you think about these three overall? I mean, Yastrzemski... Probably more of a points league standout than anything. Suarez has bounced back. Uh, Ozuna, I still think, is a solid buy low if you can. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm not really sure what to make of Suarez because he he is showing up pretty high in the third base rankings because that position's so bad. I, <laughs> the raw stat line isn't that impressive to me. And after the way the last two years went... I don't see much reason to give him benefit of the doubt. So I kind of I kind of am viewing him in the same light as like Patrick Wisdom, where I don't actually think he's that good, but he might be the best you can do at third base. Ozuna, I think, is going to be great uh, in the long run. I was getting kind of excited about Yastrzemski again, but ever since the Giants started incorporating Luis Gonzalez in their lineup, Yastrzemski's playing time, you know, he's sitting like, two, three times a week. So that make, it makes it hard to use them in any format. Yeah, it, that is fair. I hadn't realized that. As far as so. his defense, you know, the fact that he is shortstop and third base eligible, um, he's, I think, a useful player to have around. Like, I think he's probably just a corner slash middle infielder, but the fact that he's eligible at both is is pretty useful for a Roto League. So I, I do think he's um, you know, not a star, certainly not the guy he used to be. And even with the 14.6% barrel rate, like his expected stats are pretty much in line with what he's doing because he's striking out 32% of the time. So. I agree. I think corner and middle is a perfect spot for Suarez. I picked him up for, yeah. I think, like a dollar in one of my salary cap 15-team leagues, and I've just kind of set it and forget it. I just yeah. throw him in there and, you know, whatever, low batting average, but probably will end the season with around 30 home runs. He's he's been okay. Thirty home runs, eighty five RBI, eighty five runs, something like that. Like that's, it's not gonna make you win your league, but it's a useful guy to have around with some, you know, flexibility. 
I completely butchered the uh, definition of a barrel, by the way, according to StatCast. It's so the problem with the barrel is like there's not one definition. It's right. like a sliding scale depending on how hard you hit it. So yeah. if you hit it 95 miles an hour, it's got a fairly narrow range of launch angles. If you hit it 115 miles an hour, it can be a much wider range of launch angles. So it, it mostly just means like an ideally hit ball. Like it, yeah. it's a ball that has like a 1500... OPS over the course of the Statcast era or something like that. Yeah, these have led to a minimum 500 batting average and 1500 slugging percentage since Statcast was implemented back in 2015. And honestly, the particulars don't really matter much. Like you've heard the saying a million times if you watch baseball, barreling up a ball, it's pretty self-explanatory. Expected numbers who are much better for the season and I still don't know exactly how much to weigh expected numbers because obviously we're going through a, a weird environment change in baseball. Uh, but three names that stood out to me, Corey Seager, uh, now with the Texas Rangers. The power is actually up for Seager this year, but the batting average has not been there for him. Will Smith with the Dodgers. And Juan Soto, who we are getting lots of emails about right now. People are upset. Juan Soto is batting 218. Like I'm not going to fault people for being upset. This is your first round pick. He's hitting 218 on uh, June 21st. That's a letdown. There's no matter how you want to spin it, that that is a letdown. And oh, some of the underlying I, I will numbers. Spin it. I, I will spin it that he's still the seventh best outfielder in points leagues in spite of batting 218 or whatever. Sure, but he is also the 77th overall player in Roto. This yeah, someone that you I'm drafted. Just saying, if you're in points leagues, you're, you're probably still pretty happy. Uh, there are some things under the hood too that are not great. It's 12% line drive rate. That's quite bad. It's not what you want to see, and he's not hitting the ball nearly as hard. I would bank on Soto being Juan Soto rest of season, but I yeah, just like that, I would point it this out. This is the thing when someone writes in with like, you guys have to talk about Juan Soto, and it's like, okay, I'm not worried about him. Like I, I, I don't know. Like it's it's a it's the thing where like. That's not what you want to hear, although it should be what you want to hear. You should feel good about the fact that we have no concerns about Juan Soto. Like, I don't know, maybe he won't be the best hitter in baseball. But, like, if Juan Soto hits 280 the rest of the way with a 35 homer pace and the the typical things that he does, like, you're going to be really happy about that. And... I don't know. Like I, I, I always struggle with with the player like this when people like insist that we be like worried about it. I get being upset about the way he's played so far makes sense. He has not lived up to expectations, and that is frustrating. But like, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you I think Juan Soto is gonna hit 218 the rest of the season. I think he's gonna hit 280 at minimum the rest of the season. I don't really see any reason. Like, yeah, his line drive rate's lower than it usually is all right, like he, he's probably going to like line drive rate takes multiple seasons to stabilize. So I, yeah. it's, it's not the kind of thing I'm going to be worried about moving forward. It, he's still hitting the ball very, very hard. He's still borderline elite in pretty much every expected stat. So I hope this makes you feel better about Juan Soto. It should, but like, I don't know. It, it feels like sometimes people want to, to panic and like, <laughs> Don't. It's Juan Soto. I don't know. Maybe they want to commiserate. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, because I'm, I, I agree with you. 
I don't have much everything he said. I don't have Soto anywhere, so maybe that's part of it. I haven't really <laughs> felt the struggles as much, but uh, for what it's worth, all five of the projection systems on Fangraphs rest of season have Soto for between a 284 and 289 batting average. So they agree that he will be much better moving forward. The other two names I mentioned on there, I I still consider them. Will Smith, probably not a buy low because he's actually still been very good for a catcher. Uh, But yeah, I would be looking to buy either Corey Seager or Will Smith if you can. A few June... Go ahead, Scott. I, I have had the thought with Corey Seager, like... At some point, do we just have to be like, okay, he's a guy who underperforms his expected stats? Now, normally, it's not the batting average that he's underperforming. Like, that's been, it's just maybe the power is not all the way there. Um, but ultimately, like, so he's, he, he tends to be a monster in September. I guess is is what I'm building up to saying for Corey Seager. He had 385 and nine home runs last sem- September. He has 32 home runs in his career in September. Next highest month is 21. So like, is probably like beyond just what the expected stats say he should be doing, is probably a bad idea to sell him short. Just given his track record month by month breakdown. And, and the 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 idea that he underperforms his expected stats like. I don't know if his track record really backs it up. Like 2020, he did a little bit, but like he had a 434 expected Woba and a 394 at Woba. Like, I don't know if that yeah. necessarily suggests like, like that there's something well, to be worried about. He actually outperformed his expected stats in 2019. Last year, it was right on, pa- on par. So I, I think I, it's more of an experience of rostering Corey Seager thing for exactly what I was saying. Like last year, I think most people remember Corey Seager was a big disappointment. Mm-hmm because he did half his half a season's worth of damage in September, yeah. basically. And that may be what we're going through again with him. Yeah, but like still has elite line drive rate, elite quality of contact. There doesn't seem to be anything as far as like the shift that's really messing with him. So I, I, I think Corey Seager's fine. And if anyone's wondering about um, the fly ball being Fly ball rate being up obviously will lead to a lower BABIP than we're used to seeing, but his BABIP is 226. It's 325 for his career. Yeah. It, it should not be 100 points below his career mark just because he's increased his fly ball rate. It's it's not some kind of exponential fly ball rate either. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I would expect better days coming for uh, Corey Seager overall. A few June standouts I wanted to mention. Barrel percentage standouts. Adam Duvall, who is 22% in the month, and Jack Sawinski, who, of course, uh, is hitting a bunch of home runs for the Pirates. It's been awesome to see. Uh, someone either emailed in or tweeted at me, and they they pointed this out. I think it's a really good observation. Adam Duvall recently moved to left field when Michael Harris was called up. And in 15 games in left field, he's hitting 255, six homers, a 982 OPS. Adam Duvall, I, know, I think he's won like a gold glove. I don't. Yeah, he won a Gold Glove last year. I don't. I don't he's think good. he's a natural center fielder. I just looked at his numbers from last year too. He, he, offensively, he wasn't as great in center field either last season. So, there, it could be nothing. But yeah, they, I, they've I, talked about it a lot on the Braves yeah. broadcast, which I tend to tune in to more than any other team for obvious reasons. That just that uh, I know Brian Jordan specifically has been going on about how he's probably less tired playing left field than center field. And I, I yeah. guess there's logic to that. I don't feel like we hear 
that analysis ever applied to any other player ever. So I, I, I just kind of naturally resistant to it. But there does seem like it, it does sound logical that if you're spending he, less energy on defense, you have more on offense. He's also just incredibly streaky. True. That and is so absolutely it could true. just be, <laughs> you know, the human brain's desire for pattern recognition. Yep. <laughs> Whatever Chris just said. 44% rostered is Adam Duvall, so if you do need some power, uh, much like Fran Mil Reyes, I, I think they're kind of similar, although I do trust Fran Mil Reyes more. June hard hit rate standouts, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, 63% of his batted balls are hard hits. That is just bananas. Uh, Chris Taylor, 56%, who we haven't talked about all season. Uh, and then Glaber Torres, 55%, who... Uh, he's having a good June, and I still think that like we're close to some kind of breakout. I mean, he's had a bounce-back season. There's no doubt about it, but I really like what I've seen from Glaber Torres. Scott, Chris and I talked about Ryan Mountcastle at length last week, but you were not on that podcast. Um, obviously, we were all against drafting Ryan Mountcastle this year, but... Yeah, I remember talking about Mountcastle last maybe, week. What are you talking maybe, about? Maybe you were here for it. I'm making maybe. that up. Yeah, I, I wrote a didn't at length about him <laughs> in the trade values <laughs> column as well. Uh, uh, what I said was that his Statcast data is all way up from last year, and if if, yeah. if it was this way last year, I would have been more uh, behind the idea of drafting him. But I mean, at the same the time, like last season he might have been a forty homer guy. <laughs> and at the same time, look at the actual production; like it. it does seem like the new dimensions at, at uh, Camden Yards may be neutralized. Like he's not he's not regressed as much as I thought he has mm-hmm. because the skills seem to have improved. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he's he's still kind of still kind of just a mid tier hitter because yeah, of him, that's fine. Yeah. I moved him up. He was the biggest riser for me in the trade values column, and I moved him up to like the hundred and twenty overall range, and. That's a gigantic jump, but I think it's probably where he's going to end up moving forward just because that park is a really hard place to hit now. And it it does seem to have neutralized, like Scott said, a lot of the gains that he's made in terms of his underlying skill set. And it's also like a lot of the gains he's apparently made in his underlying skill set are very recent changes. You know, his his production has been very heavily weighted towards June. I would right. I, I mean, part of part of my analysis for Mountcastle would also be that I think he's. I think it's more likely the, um, the 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 skill metrics regress than that the production catches up to the skill metrics. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and this is kind of where. I think the expected numbers on StatCast might be a little misleading because they probably aren't factoring in the new ballpark yet for Camden. So I would say that you know maybe don't pay too much attention to that. Obviously, it is encouraging that Ryan Mountcastle is hitting the ball as hard as he is. All right, let's get back into the rest of Monday's action. We had a pair of socks and shoes. It's a home run in the steal in the same game. For the Kansas City Royals, Andrew Benintendi hit his third home run and his first stolen base of the season. Solely... First solely because I finally took him out of like all of my five outfielder 15 team league lineups. And of course he has his best game of the season. Let me tell you something. If Andrew Benintendi isn't stealing bases, there's no point. (sighs) It's been just empty batting average so far for him. He's hitting 299, even with this 762 OPS. um, I blanked on the name. 
Nick, he's late period Nick Marcakis now. Oh, geez. I mean, you might be right, but that, that is not very I mean, very look, with the trajectory that Andrew Benintendi's career was on a year and a half ago, I, I think uh, Nick Marcakis outcome would be a, a pretty positive one. I mean, his whole career lines up with Nick Marcakis. I feel like I've been making that comparison for Benintendi <laughs> all along. Yep. Marcakis he, was a lot better early on in his career, I want to say. Uh, Benintendi's, well, Benintendi was better, too. Benintendi's still 70% rostered. I, I assume we would drop him for... I don't, any of those. Riley yeah, Green, Kirilov, Jaron Duran. Anyone with upside. Fair enough. Uh, the other one was Hunter Dozier. <laughs> Another one. Not, I mean, not the most exciting, but hey, it's a home run and a steal in the same game. Seventh homer, second steal. He's batting 259. He's got a 751 OPS. Just kind of blah. Not very excited about Hunter Dozier. Are either of you excited about Hunter Dozier? No, I mean, I'm, not I'm disappointed that he's rostered in one of my Roto leagues where I lost Yohan Moncada. So I, I guess that tells you more about that league than he's, anything about Hunter Dozier. Uh, Hunter Dozier's been more useful this year than I thought he was going to be, but that's not saying much. Yeah. Oh, right. This player did not steal a base, but he did hit a home run. Salvador Perez went two for four with his 11th home run. And in the month of June, he's hitting 257, five homers, 18 RBI. It's more like Salvador Perez. It's still clearly not the uh, standout. And I think it just kind of lines up with his batted ball data this year. He's still hitting the ball hard. He's mm-hmm. just not that clear outlier like he was last year where he was just absolutely crushing the ball. So um, I think that kind of explains what we've seen from Salvador Perez. Some waiver wire hitters from Monday and we won't talk about Michael Harris too much because we talk about him all the time, but he went three for three with a triple. He's batting 346. He's up to 70% rostered. Just going to keep telling you to grab Michael Harris. Spencer Torkelson, three multi-hit games in a row. I don't think we need to go out and add him yet if he was dropped, but a name to watch. Let's see where it goes. Spencer Torkelson, 59% rostered. In deeper leagues, is there anything here? Trent Grisham hit his sixth home run. He's been okay in the month of June. 243 batting average, three homers, two steals, 41% rostered. Uh, anything in deeper leagues? Trent Grisham? Would rather have Duran, would rather have Lowe. Fair enough. In even deeper leagues than that, Luis Gonzalez, Scott, you mentioned his name earlier. Uh, he's been pretty good for the Giants. Two more hits, and over his last seven games, he's batting 310, one homer, two steals. He does play every day. Maybe it's a defense thing for him, but he's also very bad against lefties. Anything on Luis Gonzalez? Not much, no. I don't... Like, he's been stealing bases at a nice clip. He doesn't have a great track record of that in the minors. So, I don't know. I haven't taken a serious look at him yet, but we'll see how long he... uh, his current pace continues how long he stays in the lineup every day. You know how the Giants are. These guys are all interchangeable for them. That's right. All right. Again, the name there, Luis Gonzalez. Do we make anything of all of these swinging strikes from Monday? Oh, Trevor Rogers. Another mediocre start. Four runs allowed over five innings pitched. However, he had 24 swinging strikes. Maybe it's because it was a Monday matinee game, and I don't know what it was, but that is a crazy amount of swinging strikes. Even on the other side, David Peterson had 19 swinging strikes. He went five and a third shutout with seven strikeouts. Chris, are you making anything of this for either Rogers or Peterson? 
Uh, Peterson, no. I think this is more about the Marlins just being really, really bad against lefties. Um, Rogers, though, the Mets are not a team that strikes out very much. He had 24 swinging strikes in this one, nine of, or eight of them on the changeup. Um, look, with how good he was in the first half of last season, you know, one of the eight or so best pitchers in baseball, any sign of him figuring it out is going to pique my interest. And he's 68% rostered right now, I believe. I, I'll, I'm willing to pick him up in leagues where he was dropped based on this start because if Trevor Rogers was figuring it out, this is what it would start to look like. And, you know, this was a start where, gosh, I want to say he had, I think he walked the bases loaded or walked, had a walk with the bases loaded and then retired like 10 straight Mm -hmm. and looked better than he has all season, frankly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is a very promising start despite the results. The The swinging strike rate alone makes it, um, you know, arguably his best start of the season. Yeah, some questionable defense behind him as well. There was two errors in that game. Yep. I think uh, someone scored on a, a wild pitch or a pass ball, something like that. So uh, it was kind of a weird one, but definitely pay attention to those swinging strikes with Trevor Rogers. Some pitching leftovers from Monday. Logan Webb, back-to-back seven-inning quality starts. This one at the Braves. Seven innings, one run, seven strikeouts. Max Freed continues his, frankly, underrated season. Uh, I feel like we never talk about him, but he's just awesome. Seven innings, one run, eight strikeouts there. Uh, Miles Michaelis turns in his ninth quality start of the season. And then Hugh Darvish has now gone six-plus innings in 11 of 13 starts this year. Uh, in this one, seven innings of one-run ball, five strikeouts against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Scott, anything you'd like to add on Webb, Freed, Michaelis, Darvish? Yes. I will add that I have moved Max Freed into my top 12 at starting pitcher. Uh, I had Like ahead of Kevin Gosman, which I've been reluctant to do because he doesn't really compare to most of those guys in terms of strikeout potential but you know his k rate is actually similar to like justin verlander and he's just been so reliable over the past three years like i i just it, it's just hard to knock freed for anything yeah i was just looking up the adp because the web freed combo i found interesting and web was going ahead of max freed this season and web's been good um Especially lately, he's gotten the numbers. Yeah, but it, ERA is down to 326. In retrospect, it's definitely a Logan Webb could be anything. He could even be Max Freed kind of situation. Like Max Freed is, yeah. I think, just underrated. He's 13th for me. So um, I'm right there with you, Scott. All right. Usually I'm the one saying uh, I'm there with you, Scott, but it's good <laughs> to hear it from somebody else. Uh, one waiver wire pitcher, not much going on here. JT Brubaker, uh, a strong start against the Cubs. Six shutout with... Five strikeouts, not a must-add by any means. He's been okay. 12% rostered. Yeah, just forget I said anything. It's it's JT Brubaker. Hitting leftovers from Monday, Anthony Rizzo went two for four with his 19th home run, this one off of Shane McClanahan. Javier Baez has a modest five-game hitting streak with one homer, two steals during the span. And if you are desperate for a middle infielder, if you lost Jeremy Pena or didn't we have another big injury, Ozzie Albies, uh, yeah, I think now is still the time to buy because once Javier ba- Baez has that explosion game, you're not going to be able to buy him on the cheap. So 
Go out yep. and get him if you need a middle infield. It's coming. I think it's coming. I think so, too. Uh, Taylor Ward went two for three with his 11th home run. Have not heard his name in a while. 10 June games. Entering Monday, he was hitting 195 with a 409 OPS. Kind of been off and on with the injuries lately, so not holding it against Taylor Ward, but also would like to see him bounce back sooner rather than later. Jake Cronenworth went one for three with his seventh home run, and he continues a massive June where he's hitting 377, four homers, 22 RBI in 20 June games. That is awesome for Cronenworth and an 1135 OPS. The call to the bullpen. Some bullpen updates here. For the Red Sox, Tanner Houck allowed a hit, but picked up his fifth save working on back-to-back days for, I believe, Chris, you said it was the, the first, first time. time. Yeah. Yep. He uh, only got one out on Sunday, but it was 10 pitches, so it wasn't it wasn't nothing. Yeah. He now, uh, Houck now has the last five saves for the Boston Red Sox and seems pretty entrenched as their closer. He's 70% rostered if you need saves there. For the Yankees, Clay Holmes entered in the eighth inning with a two-run lead and a runner on first. He proceeded to give up a double, an RBI ground out, and then a game-tying single. Uh, he took his first blown save of the season. The Yankees took the lead in the ninth, and Wandy Peralta picked up his second save of the season. For the White Sox, this was kind of interesting. Kendall Graveman pitched in the eighth inning with a three-run lead. He faced the heart of the Blue Jays lineup, three, four, and five. And then Joe Kelly pitched in the ninth. He gave up a two-run homer to Kevin Biggio, but did convert his first save of the season. Uh, Scott, do you think this is more of what to expect? Kendall Graveman, just the highest leverage arm in that bullpen? Yeah, I don't think the White Sox actually said Graveman was going to replace Hendricks. That was just kind of the presumption because he was consistently the eighth inning guy. But now that they don't have a tried and true closer for the ninth, uh, they might mix and match a little more. I, I mean, I still think Graveman's the guy to have from the White Sox bullpen, but they may they may do the leverage thing a little more. For the Giants, Camilo Duvall entered in the ninth inning with the game tied. He gave up a walk, single, single, takes his third loss of the season. For the Brewers, Josh Hader picked up his 20th save, and he was out a little bit. I think it was on paternity, but he's back, and he's getting saves once again. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Tuesday. Ryan Feltner at the Marlins, Rowanzi Contreras versus the Cubs, Eric Fetty at the Orioles, Rich Hill versus the Tigers, Reed Detmers versus the Royals and Marco Gonzalez at the Oakland A's. Probably either Contreras. Yeah, probably Rollins and Contreras is number one choice. Marco Gonzalez, number two. Yep. I think that's fair. Wednesday, we have Ross Stripling at the White Sox, John Gray versus the Phillies, Keegan Thompson at the Pirates, Tyler Wells versus the Nationals, and Michael Waka versus the Tigers. So Gray is starting against the Phillies and and not against the Nationals like we hoped. I still think he's the top choice here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thompson is okay, although I guess the Pirates lineup is getting better. I I still think it's okay to stream. 12 runs today, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Michael Walker against the Tigers is okay as well. But yeah, John Gray is probably the best. Don't overlook Bly Madras. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.